What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitchman-Malides, joined as ever by Sid Lowe. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Philip. How are you? I'm all right, mate. Yeah, I'm good. Back in the swing of things, because obviously international breaks, two international breaks in, in, in January. So it was nice to kick off February with a, a full round of fixtures and, and get back in the swing of things. Yeah, and it felt, felt almost like a restart, didn't it? Because yeah. of those two breaks and because it came off the back of the winter transfer window closing. Yes. So it kind of felt like a new weekend for a lot of clubs, and obviously in particular Barcelona, who we'll talk about because they're new signings. But, um, but it, it was kind of all around the league. It kind of felt a little bit different. It did. It did. Uh, here's what happened on uh, match day 23 then. A resurgent Getafe uh, beat Levante 3-0 at the Coliseum Alfonso Pérez on Friday evening. Levante in all sorts of trouble. They're basically, they're basically down. Uh, not mathematically because we've still got a lot of points to play for, but they're 12 points from safety. Absolutely woeful. And Getafe absolutely flying. Uh, then on Saturday, we saw Elche come from behind to beat Alaves by uh, three goals to one and Mallorca come from behind to beat Cadiz 2-1. Two really, really big games at the bottom of the table. It means that the bottom three all lost, Levante, Alaves and Cadiz. And they're beginning to get cut adrift now. We know that Levante are in all sorts of problems, but Alaves is six points from safety, Cadiz five points from safety. It looks very much like those three are going down at the moment. Let's see if they can turn around their fortunes. Uh, Celta Vigo beat Rayo by two goals to nil, a third consecutive home win for Celta Vigo. Rayo rested some players. They've got a massive historic Copa del Rey semi-final first leg coming up this week. And then Osasuna nil, Sevilla nil. Sevilla, I mean, it was not a good game. Sevilla missed an injury time penalty, which would have put them to within a point of leaders Real Madrid. But even Rakitic saw that spot kit saved by Sergio Herrera and it finished goalless. Then on Sunday, we had another goalless draw between Valencia and Real Sociedad at Mestalla. Barcelona 4, Atletico Madrid 2 in a game that really could have ended... Oh, I don't know what kind of... We could have had a, a crazy rugby scoreline, really, but uh, it ended 4-2 to Barcelona. A thoroughly entertaining game, of which we will talk more of in just a moment. Villarreal beating Betis by two goals to nil at the Estadio Benito. Villamarín Betis were the form side in the division heading into this game, but a really, really good performance from Villarreal, particularly defensively nullifying Betis's considerable attacking threat and they did it without Gerard Moreno as well because their striker went off injured hobbling off really frustrated kicking the floor uh, as he went off just come back from injury scored goals but now he's out again Uh, but the good news for Villarreal they managed to win a big game without him then at the Santiago Bernabeu Real Madrid beating Granada by a goal to nil Again, not a classic game. The only goal scored by Marco Asensio. Uh, a really good shot uh, from the man from Mallorca. A big, big win for Real Madrid, who are missing some key, key players. Uh, one game left on match day 23. It's tonight. It's Athletic Club against an R.D.T.less Espanol. Raúl Tomás is suspended for tonight's game. We've got loads of content coming up uh, this week on patreon.com forward slash TSFP. We'll have a Q&A podcast out tomorrow answering all 
of your questions. So send them along. A bonus pod out on Friday on the Copa del Rey semi-finals. And a new episode of TSFP Presents at the Games, discussing visiting and watching football in another Spanish city. Plus Al's paper reviews and access to the TSFP Discord. Join us. It's just over four euros a month. I think, even though I'm incredibly biased, I think it represents good value for money. Uh, We're going to start by talking about the game that you were at, Sydney, on Sunday. At the camp now, Barcelona 4, Atletico Madrid 2. I'm actually very pleased because built this game up a lot, uh, particularly on my day job on on La Liga TV. Calling it one of the biggest fixtures in world football, etc, etc. And it's nice when a game that you've built up absolutely massively delivers. And this really, really did deliver in terms of entertainment primarily because neither side can defend. So anytime either of them attacked, it felt like they were going to score. That is true. Um, and, and and both of them do look very vulnerable at the back, but it was really, really enjoyable. Um, and I think that is, I know it's the most basic thing of all, but it really is the greatest takeaway from this match. The sense that this was an occasion, the sense mm. that this was fun and the most fun that they'd had at the Camp Nou, certainly since the departure of Messi. Yeah. I think um, it helped, of course, as well that that there was a return of fans. Still not a hundred percent, but I think it was seventy four. In fact, it was a hundred percent. They were it was hundred percent in Catalonia, yeah, yeah. and they were at seventy four thousand. So it felt like a big occasion. Um, it's true that this game wasn't as big as, for example, it was the last time these two team met, teams met at the Camp Nou when what was it three weeks from the end of last season? And it felt like it was a game that could decide the title. This time round, we knew that at most it might decide a Champions League place. But it was really, really enjoyable. And I think that matters. And I think it matters more for for Barcelona than for Atletico Madrid. Uh, But fundamentally, it matters for people watching it. It really does. And I think we all had a good time watching it. Possibly not Atletico Madrid fans in the end who were probably quite horrified at how their uh, side defended. Um, Dani Alves Alves got a hat-trick. A goal, an assist and a sending off. Um, a very interesting, and then an incredible uh, sartorial get-up in his post-match. Ah, oh, magnificent, wasn't typical it? Typical Danny Alves, colourful, colourful character, colourful clothes, and a slightly strange hat he was wearing in that post-match interview. But it was sort of a not quite Panama hat, but almost. Yes. It was kind of a white Panama hat. Uh, yeah, it was. Yes. It was. Anyway, he scored a good goal. Uh, Barcelona's uh, fourth, in fact, uh, three of Barcelona's back four all, all scored. Uh, Dani Alves, Ronald Araujo, and Jordi Alba, and Gerard Piquet hit the hit the bar as well. Uh, mm. So it was a, a really big performance from the back four. Not in terms of defending, because they didn't do that brilliantly, but uh, they scored goals at least. Gavi uh, got the other goal. Uh, he did play exceptionally well. Uh, the man, though, who was MVP. Man of the match, uh, certainly stood out in the first half, was Adama Traore. Absolutely mm. sensational in that first half. What a debut. Yeah, uh, as you say, I mean, it was largely limited to the first half and, and he went off relatively early. I'm not sure which minute it was, 61, 62, something like that. Um, uh, but he really caused huge amount of problems for Mario Adamoso. Um, not least, I think, because Adamoso was playing in that kind of role where he's theoretically left back. But, of course, he's a central defender pushed out to the left. Now, that's not a massive problem if you have Carrasco with you and he's the wing-back. But, of course, Carrasco started on the right and actually ended up having to come across to kind of bail him out, to help him and and a shift towards something more like the five that we've seen before. Adama Traore, we know the things that he can offer, or at least we thought we did. And that's one of the reasons why this um, this was slightly surprising, because, of course, we know 
that he has the power and the willingness to run at people. Of course, we know that he's very quick and he, and he did those things and Adamoso really struggled to deal with it. But I thought what was interesting was, was how well he combined with the players around him, in particular Danny Alves, who played as a kind of inside role rather than as a, as a right-sided role. And Alves tucked, tucked into to the midfield position and played a kind of an inside right when Adama had the ball, but also would go right through the very middle. Um, and then, of course, the quality of, of Adama's deliveries. Now, it actually only happened two or three times in that first half because, of course, the main thing about Adama Ferreira in that, in that first half was the sense of fear when he went at mm. Atletico. But then we got, and in particular, of course, on the, on the goal scored by Gavi, an end product. And that's always been our debate with Adama Traore. Mm. That idea mm. that, okay, you get excited by him, but then what actually comes from it? Well, what, ha- like, what He's very good at going past people, but not that good at crossing. Not that like, good at sort of pro- general, providing, yeah. providing the pass that he needs to pass, or provide at the end, or providing the finish. On this occasion, he did, at least with that cross. And the, the other thing is, and this takes us a little bit back to the kind of discussions we've had over the years about Dembélé and actually about an early era Vinicius, which is that even when Vinicius wasn't playing particularly well, we kept saying, but he does make things happen, even if it doesn't always come off. He, he changes the way that the other team looks at you. He, he changes their sense of comfort or lack thereof when you attack them. And, and, and I thought uh, Adama, for, for however long it was he was on the pitch, but in particular for the first 45 minutes of the first half, I thought he was very, very good indeed. He certainly was very, very eye-catching. And uh, uh, that assist for uh, Gavi, smallest player on the pitch, scoring with a header. Yeah. Is, uh, not, not, not good for, uh, for, for Atletico Madrid. But uh, Gavi's general performance was highly impressive. I think, I think it's very interesting as well, Gavi. Um, and, and look, we know that Gavi's a good player and we know as well that he actually can be a good player in a front three, as a, as a, if you like. As I, I, I've got to stop um, using this and I've got to stop falling into the habit of calling people who are out of position false, whatever they are, because I don't think it's entirely fair to call him a false attacker or a false winger. It's more about the way that he plays. But, and actually, there is a certain falseness to it because he does drop into midfield and he doesn't stay right out wide, but he's prepared to when he needs to. And of course, on the left-hand side, you can be a false left-sided attacker because you allow the left side for Jordi Alba to overlap you, which Danny Alves didn't do on the right. Alves went on an inside channel. Alba goes on an outside channel. So you can have that narrow left-sided attacker. But I thought it was interesting. And I'll be, I'm going to be honest with you because I think it's not fair to be smart after the event and not be honest about what you thought before the event. Before the event, I'm going to be honest, when I saw that lineup, I thought, oh, right. So you buy a whole load of wide attacking players and you still put a midfielder in the forward line. And I must admit, I did think, is this really what we've come to, that you've got 10 forwards and you still play a midfielder in the forward line. Now, in Xavi's defence, I mean, quite apart from the fact that he doesn't need a defence, still less from me. Uh, Xavi definitely doesn't need a defence from me. Um, but first of all, he knows what he's doing. Secondly, Gavi can play in that position. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, of course, he had Abama Yang, who he'd said wasn't physically ready yet. He's had Memphis unavailable, who could play that left-sided role. And, of course, fundamentally, Ansu Fati injured. And... Yeah. There's a French lad. And, well, this is the one I was coming on to. And the French lad by, by the name of Ousmane Dembélé, who Xavi had put back in the squad, had said was available, but I don't think necessarily wanted to throw straight in. And I think mm. in an ideal world, Xavi would not play him. And by the way, I think that's entirely legitimate. In fact, I think it's the right decision. If you are building to the future, why use a player who won't be there? I suppose the answer to that question is... To help you win football matches. To help you win football matches. So for as long as you think you might not need it... You don't play him. The question is, mm. at what point do you think you do need this? Um, 
And I, I think he might play uh, this weekend or next weekend. I, 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 the, I think it's Espanol. I think it's perfectly plausible. I think it's perfectly plausible. And you know, obviously, the other thing with with Dembélé is that, in a way, his role and that of Adama Traore has certain similarities. In that maybe it's a little bit uh, tactically and technically, um, what would you call it? Kind of more chaotic. Maybe I don't know if that's mm. really the right word. Less controlled, but you make things happen by going at people and other players benefit from that now obviously Adama Traore is different to, from Dembélé at least in terms of creating a narrative around him because he grew up at Barcelona now growing up at Barcelona doesn't necessarily mean you understand absolutely everything and you can apply absolutely everything you've learned over the years but some of those lessons are in there or some of those lived experiences are in there some of those habits have been formed over the years in a way that never really seemed to happen with Dembélé Mm. Um, so let's see let's see how they handle it but but look the performance all round I thought was very good I thought low key it didn't really get noticed but I thought low key Frankie de Jong was very very good as well someone told me a ridiculous statistic which I'm still struggling to get my head round that Frankie de Jong weighs two kilos more than Adama Traore well he's quite a lot taller than him but that still seems very unlikely <laughs> it seems very unlikely because uh, I mean Adama Traore I, I, I realise everyone knows this and I'm, I'm very reluctant to go down the cliched route of just focusing on his physique but he's a yes. big lad. I mean, yeah. he really is. Uh, did you see him up close and Yeah, I spoke to him after the game. One thing actually I did think was interesting, um, because he came into the mix, the mix zone, the flash zone, to do the interviews post-game, and he was yes. wearing a tracksuit, um, but he hadn't dressed in civvies yet, and the tracksuits are quite tight. So what I thought was interesting was he is very, very big upper body, but actually his lower body isn't. His legs are not particularly big, as footballer legs okay. go. He's not... He's not got enormous calves or anything like that. I mean, he's muscular, but it is the this upper is, body. This is, this is the kind of tremendous analysis that people come to TSFP. He, he also has brilliant. amazing teeth, but then a lot of footballers do. Yeah, because they're rich, Sid. They're yes, rich. his, his yeah. teeth are almost as big, shiny and imposing as his pectorals and his biceps are. All right, I think we can move away from this because it's slightly <laughs> getting a little bit weird. Uh, let's talk about Atletico Madrid. And just how bad they are defensively again. Amazing. They've conceded at least two goals in each of their last five games. I mean, these are these are numbers that are just unheard of during the Simeone yes. era. And it's difficult. It is difficult to try and get your head around how this has happened, why it keeps happening. Because yesterday, they were at full strength, pretty much. Yes. In terms I, of the I, personnel they have. Well, and in particular... The, the the return of Savic and Jimenez, or at least the return of the two of them playing together. Yes. So this season, they'd only played together seven times. They'd only lost one of those games. Even Simeone himself, who is normally very, very reluctant to talk about individuals, certainly to talk about individuals in the context of saying, we're not as good because so-and-so is missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even pre-game, he was prepared to talk about the significance of these two being able to play together. You know, the last time they kept a clean sheet away from home was this fixture last season. Whoa. Um, and admittedly, that was right at the end of last season, but that was Still. the last time. Um, and they defensively, you know what? Defensively, they felt a little bit weak to me. Um, and there was that moment in particular, which I think told you a lot about this, the sense of kind of being out of place and, and, and uncomfortable, was the moment in which Hermoso and Jan Black almost gave the ball away. The mm. two of them playing right near their yes. own goal line. Um <laughs> And and Mosso, I think, was was in a difficult position because he was singled out, uh, partly because he didn't have anyone in front of him because Atletico played with that narrow midfield because Thomas Lamar plays on the left of midfield, but he doesn't play on the left, does he? He plays as one of a middle three, really. 
Um, and he was almost almost irrelevant yesterday. He was almost in, invisible. But I, I think as well, it is also true what Simeone said after the game. Even though I don't buy this analysis entirely because I thought they were defensively poor, he did say, look, they had four shots and scored all four of them. And actually, he's right in terms of shots on target, which takes us to this thing that we keep talking about. Yeah, but they had other chances. Exactly. Oh, well, exactly, exactly. But this is why, why I say I don't buy his argument completely. But I think there's something in it that is worth looking at because it takes us to something that's been a recurring theme this year. Those things that they used to do, they don't do anymore. And it's not necessarily about not allowing many chances because they're not actually allowing that many. Now, I know in this game they did allow a few, but they're not allowing that many. It's the ones they allow are either really clear or that little bit of something that somehow saw them get away with it before, whether it's a great last tackle, whether it's a moment's concentration, whether it's a brilliant save. That is not happening. Now, in none of these goals... And let's take it to Jan Oblak now. And, and mm-hmm. I, I realise it's oversimplistic, but let's do this anyway. In none of these goals, I think, could you say Oblak's at fault. That said, the first goal, which is the Gavi header, maybe he reaches. Because it, I, yeah. I think it might even come off... First a, goal is the Jordi Alva. The Jordi Alva one. Right, yeah. even that, which goes right in the top corner and it loops a long way up, but it sort of floats a bit. Mm. And and it sort of felt a little bit like he wasn't really ready to respond to it. Mm. The Gavi header, it feels to me like he's a little slow to get across to it. And uh, there was a point, I think, at which you might have expected him to score that. Mm-hmm. The PK header that comes off the bar, now that's not his fault, but he's fractionally off his line and he's struggling to get back to it. And then he doesn't get up particularly quick to, to Ronald Araujo's shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dani Alves one, I think, is brilliantly hit. I don't think you can blame him at all on that. But the other three, while none of them are his fault, in all of them, I sort of think, once upon a time, our black might have saved one of them. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and we're seeing a... I, sp- I suppose we're seeing a mortality that we didn't think before. He is, he is a, a normal person. Uh, I heard a stat, which is uh, quite extraordinary, that he's got more goals conceded this season than shots than shots saved which is well that really is amazing which is extraordinary um that really hold is on, amazing. hold on no that can't be right that can't actually be right can it that well it could be, right. be is is he saving fewer than the but bear in mind that that would be shot saves would obviously require shots on target yeah they've conceded uh how many is it now is that 25 or 24 30 goals now they've conceded 30 goals right so that's 60 shots on target that could be about right Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, um, there was uh, something else I wanted to talk about. Oh, yes. Uh, Diego Simeone getting quite a lot of uh, criticism about uh, what he did to Daniel Vass and continue making him continue to play when he was clearly, clearly quite, quite seriously injured. Yeah. Um, I'm uneasy about this as well. Uh, I, su- I can only say that... It- he thinks it's not serious, but obviously it's not really his call to make. So it seems a, right. it, it seems a, a, a bit of a strange thing. To, in fact, a very strange thing to have done, and actually a little bit out of character because for all of Simeone's flaws, he's not normally a kind of he's not normally a get up. There's nothing wrong with you, sort of manager, is he? Is it a desperate move? I think it probably are we playing amateur amateur psychologist? It probably does express a, a certain degree of desperation. Yes, mm. Um, mm. And, and, and I suppose it expresses the the, the, the tension of the. The tension of the situation. Mm. Uh, Barcelona are now in fourth. They're two points ahead of Atletico Madrid. The battle for fourth or a Champions League spot is going to be pretty fiercely contested between Barcelona, Atletico Madrid 
Betis are currently third. Villarreal are currently sixth. Real Sociedad are, okay, falling away, but they're still very much in the mix. This is going to be a serious, serious battle. And it's the first time in a in a long, long time that Barcelona are in those Champions League spots. Yes, I, I think it's very significant as well because of what you've just laid out, because this is a serious battle. So not so long ago, if we had been in a position in which Barcelona and Atletico Madrid were slightly struggling, as they are, and had gone into a game like this, as they did, for the final Champions League place in week, what week are we in? 24, is it? Mm-hmm. Um, in week 24. 23. We, this is 20, 23, we, we sorry. Just had 23, we, yeah. we would have We would have looked at it and we would have said, yeah, this is big for the Champions League place, but really and truly, they will probably both get one. Now, this year, given the strength and the gap that Real Madrid and Sevilla have already got, you would say, well, there's only two places up for grabs and it could still be those two. But despite the defeat, Betis are a strong enough side that, and have a bit of a lead. What is it? Five points, I think. Um, that you, Betis? You think, yeah, over Barca. Two points. Is it only two points? And of Barca they lost. a game in Sorry. hand. Sorry, I was calculating them winning last night. Yeah, only, mm. only two points. But Betis are strong enough that you think they could hang on. Villarreal are definitely strong enough that you think that they could get into it. Mm-hmm. And so I still think it's perfectly plausible that Atletico and Barcelona both get Champions League places, that you get Real Madrid, Sevilla, Atletico, Barcelona. I still think that's perfectly plausible. But I think Villarreal and Betis are genuinely good enough to hold them off. And so it's perfectly plausible that what we saw yesterday really was a fight for only one place. It would be genuinely catastrophic for both of these sides not to get in yes, the Champions League. I mean, on so many levels, but most importantly, financial. But wow, that yes. would be bad. Yeah. Absolutely, it would. Um, and, and, you know, I suppose possibly from, uh, from Barcelona's point of view more so because this is a team trying to rebuild and in theory, at least, trying to create the conditions in which they can sign big name players in the summer. And in a billion and euros sh- debt. <clears throat> And a bit, yes, yes, but but short term trying to create the conditions to do that. So if you then go into the summer and you say, would you like to come to us? So oh, by the way, you're not playing in the Champions League. A lot of players are just going to say no, even if it is Barcelona. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, we'll move on uh, away from that game and and discuss what happened at the uh, at the Bernabeu last night. It's it's not a game that will live long in the minds of uh, Madridistas or Granada fans. I don't think, but it does feel like potentially a big moment in the season, the fact that Real Madrid managed to win this game. They won this game without Benzema, without Vinicius, without Casemiro and without Ferlan Mendy. Obviously, the absences of Benzema and Vinicius are particularly notable. They've scored 29 of Real Madrid's 47 league goals this season. And without Benzema in the in the side, Real Madrid look completely different, but they've genuinely had Vinicius in there to, to try and cover and bring a bit of spark when Benzema hasn't been available. And I guess vice versa. This, I think, the first time that neither of them have been available uh, for a league game. They managed to get themselves over the line and it was just important to win. They did it with a goal from Marco Asensio, who dare we say it, might be having an all right season. This was his sixth league goal, eight in all competitions. Although when I pointed this out to my uh, deeply Madridista friend who, who can't, cannot stand Marco Asensio and calls him, <laughs> calls him Ausensio, he said, si, Phil, pero o sea, tres goles en un, en un solo partido. He scored three goals in one game against Mallorca. So let's not get carried away. Okay, he scored six goals, but three of them were against Mallorca in a 6-1 win. No me jodas. Um, he, he's... Uh, <laughs> he didn't translate that bit. <laughs> no. Uh, he's, got a, he's got his work cut out trying to convince people, I think now, Marco Asensio, because the, such is the level of, of disappointment at his general um, rendimiento, his general performance over the last 
last few years that it uh, it's uh, yeah it's difficult for Madridistas to to fully get behind him. But yeah. I guess if you're looking at it from a you know a impartial viewpoint, which we are, uh, he's not he's not done badly. I think he's um, I think he's done fine. I, I, I do understand the argument that says that his his um, if you like his influence on games isn't particularly high. Um, and I think there's an element of Gareth Bale about him that we used to say this when Bale was playing and playing quite well. That sometimes he wouldn't, he wouldn't, like he wouldn't define a game, but he would quite often decide it. And I think that happens a little bit with Asensio. He doesn't always define a game. He's not always the key player, but then he can shoot. You know, and that makes quite a big difference. And he has a habit of, or he once upon a time had a habit of scoring big goals quite often in games that mattered. Um, I think as well that part of the creation of this identity around him, obviously a lot of it is about how he performs, but it's also he made a comment, which I think follows him around. Mm -hmm. And he made a comment once, and to be honest with you, I understood why he made it, in which he said, it's not my job to pull the cart. In other words, it's my job to take responsibility for for leading this team. There are other players who are there to do this. And of course, that is true. But saying so sounded like an abdication. And saying so sounded like a lack of ambition. And I always felt that it was seized upon a little bit too willingly, that comment. And of course, when you join that together with the way that he played, it became a very easy kind of, if you like, identification to make Mm. of him. And I'm not sure it always was an entirely accurate one. Um, I think he's useful because he, well, for example, yesterday he he can strike a ball very well. I think that forces defences out in a way that wouldn't maybe otherwise happen. Um, But it is true that his impact upon a game isn't always huge. That said, in a season in which we have talked often about how the starting eleven is 10 players plus one other, that one other was him on Rodrigo most weeks, is very clearly him now. Mm. Very clearly him. And that is because he has earned it. Now, admittedly, he's earned it perhaps because some of the other options do not entirely convince. And clearly, Ancelotti has no um, no intention whatsoever of playing Bale there. And that may have been an option. He's, he's not that keen on Hazard, and particularly not that keen on Hazard in a right-sided position, which isn't really Hazard's natural role anyway. And Rodrigo has been a bit intermittent as well. And, and Rodrigo is a he's got a bit more finesse than, than, than Asensio, but he hasn't really done a huge amount either. So actually, yeah, quietly, I think Asensio's getting on with, with having a, an important role to play. I do wonder whether this might be different when PSG come around, whether we may see an extra midfielder put there ah, instead. OK. Uh, I, I saw somebody who I follow on Twitter um, yesterday, a, a, a Spanish account, saying that Vinicius is Real Madrid's most vertical player and vertical obviously is a phrase that we've struggled to translate accurately but it's it's kind of like direct um someone who sort of runs Mm. straight direct at uh at a um an opponent uh this account was saying if vinny the second most vertical player that real madrid have is fede valverde and if vinicius isn't yes, in the true. team. Valverde needs to start to bring that kind of verticality. Uh, Fede Valverde wasn't in the starting eleven yesterday, but he he came on and he and he made a big difference. Yeah, and and he does it from obviously different positions, of course, um, and, and does it from a little bit deeper. But he does he does one of two things, and it depends in a way in in on the way in which the other team approach Real Madrid. He either bursts through the first line of pressure mm. and a pitch opens in front of him. Or he picks up deep and starts running at teams and that either forces them to back off or at least breaks, if you like, the, the, the structure that they've got. Now, I do think that 
that, that there is a slight sense of Valverde stagnating, but I think that's because of a lack of continuity. I think it is because that's fundamentally what he does and a really well-organised, deep-weighting team can actually effectively deny him some of the space that makes him really, really effective. Um, but I, I think he's really useful from that point of view. And, and, and I think that's an interesting idea, that idea that if you don't have... If you don't have Vinicius there, you have you, you you've got to have Valverde because you've got to have someone who at least puts people on the back foot a little yes. bit. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, let's see what happens with Karim Benzema. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti says that he's going to be okay for the next game. I've heard that he's going to struggle to make that next game, but let's see. Let's see. Hopefully, he's uh, he's all right from a Real Madrid perspective because that next game is against Villarreal at the Estadio de la Ceramica. And then it's PSG next week on the 15th in the Champions League. So two big games coming up for Real Madrid. And let's see whether or not Karim Benzema is fit enough, not just to be involved, but to be at his best for Real Madrid, because they do really, really need him now. They are six points ahead of a Sevilla side who threw it away against Osasuna in terms of missing that Mm. penalty. Ivan Rakitic, who you would back to score a penalty in this kind of pressure situation. He's vastly experienced. He's played in all sorts of high-pressure situations. But eh, injury time penalty to winner El Sadar. It was was too much for him. I love Sergio Herrera's celebration, by the way, when he saved it. It It was wild. It was like they'd won a... Big cup match or something. It was a, yeah. it was it was pretty indicative of what Osasuna mean. Yeah, there there is a lot. Shall I use the word? There is a lot to unpack um, around this, and and let's start with that that idea, as you say, of, of all the people. You know, if you if your fate is in the hands of of anyone, you want it to be in the hands of Ivan Rakitic. If you are a Sevilla fan, um, as you say, vast experience, their captain. A guy who's shown a cool head in this situation before. He hasn't missed a penalty for since 2014, I believe it is. He's taken nine since then in normal time and scored them all. He's taken two in penalty shootouts in the World Cup to win it both times to take Croatia to the quarterfinals and to the semi-finals. He took the penalty last year at Valdebebas when it really did feel like Sevilla's chances of winning the league were on the line and he scored it. Um, and so you would, yeah, if, you, if there's anyone you want taking it, you want him to take it. I don't think it was a terrible penalty. It wasn't the greatest penalty ever, but I don't think it was a terrible penalty. It was reasonably cleanly hit. It's a reasonably nice height maybe for the goalkeeper, but it was towards the corner, not right in the corner, but it was towards the corner. And that opportunity was gone. I think the significance of, of this opportunity being, go, being sort of denied them is, this is why I use the word unpacked, because there's sort of lots of elements to this. One of them is that this idea that we've had a lot this season, and actually even a little bit last year, that there's been this slight hint of vertigo about Sevilla. You know, the, when, the, when, the, when the top is there within reach, they don't, they don't quite take the opportunity. They don't quite make that step. And so, for example, last year, they put themselves in a position where you thought, maybe they really are candidates to win the league, and they went and lost to, to, to Athletic on a Monday night at home. And that was kind of, oh can't believe it this year they start the season very well they play really really well at the Bernabeu and they lose to a late Vinicius goal and you think there's this kind of almost but not quite thing with them since then though you look at their run and they beat Athletic they beat Villarreal they beat Atletico they drew with Barcelona they won um, five games out I think it was six games out of seven actually Coming into this, then they drew two. Just again, when you look like it's up, oh, now you really can make it a title race. They draw with Valencia and they draw with Celta. 
And in both occasions, you think, well, those aren't really bad results. Mm. But given the circumstances you're in, that moment when you want them to take a step, they sort of didn't. Now, this is even, even bigger again, because, and I've been saying this in defence of Sevilla for a while now, they've basically spent the last two months thinking, we have to get through this. Because we've had loads of injuries, we've had players at the Af- African Cup of Nations, and we just need to get through this. And in fairness to them, they hung on to the coattails of Real Madrid. They kept themselves close enough that they were in it. And they were in it, and it felt like this week, and this goes to what we were saying at the start of the podcast, this week was the first game of a new season for them almost. Mm. This is the start. This is where you start. Why? Because they come through the transfer window without losing Diego Carlos. And they've signed two players to help them. Tecatito and, um, and, and Anthony Martial. And you get Bono back from the Cup of African Cup of Nations and you get Enesiri back from the African Cup of Nations. But they've still got problems. They've still got injuries. And of course, what happens is during the warm-up, Lucas Ocampos gets injured. Six minutes into the game, uh, my mind's gone blank. Montiel, Montiel is, is forced to go off. And you think, but he's still a chance. And it's nil-nil. And it's nil-nil and they haven't taken this chance. It goes into the last minute. And suddenly, like a gift from the gods, they get given this chance. Which, in truth, they haven't really earned. Because although they've stepped up the pressure in the second half, although I think they're a really nice team, Sevilla, in terms of how they bring the ball out from the back, they, don't actually, they weren't creating very much. You watch them with possession, I think they're really good. But that last bit just wasn't happening. And it had actually got to the point where it was ball out to the left wing, put the cross in, see what happens. And it was a little bit, oh, I don't believe it, another chance has gone. And then the chance is given to them on a plate. And, they, and then they don't take it again. And that just, and I know this is fatalistic. And I know this is allowing myself to be carried away, if you like, by the, the storyline, by the narrative, by the idea, rather than just by the analysis of what we saw on the pitch. But it did make you think, that was your league title chance, gone. Now, I know it's not that simple, but it feels like a big gap between being one point behind Real Madrid and putting the pressure on them at a time when Real Madrid was starting to show vulnerability and not doing it. And then, as you already said yourself, the following night, Madrid get a big win. And now it's six points. Mm. It did. It did feel like a very, very significant miss from Ivan Rakitic. <laughs> there is still a league title race, guys. I promise. It's only six points. There oh, there are, definitely is. And, and there the, are 45 or 48 yeah. points still to play for. I and as I say, the fact that Sevilla were able to kind of somehow stay in it hmm. was in, in itself is indicative of the fact that this is the chance that, that you know, the, the hope that they can stay in this. Because as I say, they stayed in it beating Villarreal, beating Athletic, beating, um, drawing with Barcelona, beating Atletico Madrid. They have yes. something about them. My yes. doubt is whether it's, whether it's quite enough. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm conscious of the fact that we've basically just talked about the top four or the big, the big four sides uh, in, uh, in La Liga. And we would like to talk about others, as we always like to try and do on the podcast. But we did have that big Barca-Atletico game. So we, we dwelt on that a little bit more. Uh, before we go, I do want, Sydney a quick word on your Friday night trip to see Getafe against Levante. Getafe thrashing Levante 3-0. Kike Sanchez-Flores, if he keeps this up, he is manager of the season. Because he really when he t- is, isn't he? When he <laughs> took over at Getafe, they were bottom of the table. They had one point. They'd lost seven of eight games to start yeah. the season. They are now... 15th in the table, and they're 14 points clear yeah. at the bottom. It's been an extraordinary turnaround. Uh, it's just amazing. And they're playing really well now as well. Um, you know, when we did the analysis on, on how they had come out of trouble about four or five weeks ago, maybe a little bit less than that, we were talking about how at times it wasn't pretty. At times they were ultra-defensive. They play very straight lines. And they still do play very straight lines, by the way. But they're starting to really play. 
Mm. You know, they're starting to score goals as well. And, and let me tie this in. You know, you say you want to talk about the rest of the league. Let me tie it in very briefly with this weekend's games. Because you had 20th against 16th, 19th against 15th and 18th against 17th. So mm. you had the bottom six playing each other. It's not the bottom six anymore because, of course, Granada have now slipped into it. But it was the bottom six playing each other. And what happened was the bottom three all lost. So what could have been a weekend to really tighten up that battle at the bottom has actually made it look very clearly now like Levante, Alaves and Cadiff go. What it's really, really done more than anything else, as you've pointed out, because of the statistics, is it's made you say, that's it, Getafe are definitively safe now Hmm. because they beat Levante, one of the other teams in trouble. They've beaten the teams down there. That's the other thing that's happened. They've won the, to use the cliche, the six-point games, but they're playing really well. And it's worth a word about Enes Unal, who has... I believe now scored nine goals in 12 games. Mm-hmm. He has been really, really good for Getafe in recent weeks. He scored twice this time round. And Kike Sancho Flores was, was asked about this, actually two or three times, including me, but there were, there were three, two or three questions about Ernest Unal. And obviously part of it is getting him fit, getting him right, getting the work done. But you've still then got to put the chances away. Mm. Um, and, and what... Kike Sancho Flores says, he said, well, actually, look, I'm a believer that, that it's not just about, you know, a good run, being lucky, the ball going in, that little touch luck. It's actually about repetition. Mm. And we come to this thing that we've talked about before in the different, the conceptual difference between training and practice. And this is practice. Repeat, 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 repeat. And it's really working for us now. And then the other thing that Kike Sancho Flores said, which, of course, slightly contradicts this, he said, look, he's a really good footballer. And it maybe hadn't always shown before but sometimes with good footballers, you've just got to give them confidence and wait for them. And he is right now, with Joselu, probably the outstanding striker outside of you know the, the obvious two or three clubs. In fact, maybe even including the obvious two or three clubs apart from Benzema. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Uh, listen, we've got to go. Uh, the Segunda is uh, looking interesting with Abar three points clear at the top now. They won 1-0 at Sporting on Saturday. Almeria are second. They beat Ibiza 2-0 on Friday. Valladolid are in third. And Tenerife in fourth. They both drew. Girona up to fifth. They beat Ponferradina 3-0 to go. Level on points with them. Oviedo drew 1-1 at Amor Vieta mm. on Sunday. Uh, this week, we've got the Copa del Rey semi-final. First legs Wednesday night in Vallecas. It's Rayo against Betis. And on Thursday night, it's Athletic Club against Valencia. Two absolutely fascinating ties. And there will be two stadiums with tremendous atmospheres. Slightly different, but uh, both uh, absolutely fantastic. So looking forward to those two games. Uh, We'll be looking forward to analysing them on our bonus podcast at patreon.com forward slash TSFP on Friday. Hope you can join us over there. As we said, there is loads of content for you Spanish football lovers. And if you don't want to join us, that's all right, because we'll be back here next Monday, as always. Sydney, nice to speak to you, my friends. Speak to you soon. And thanks to you guys for joining us. Adios. Cheerio. Network.